You just tuned in with Defiance the Dawn. Live on the chopping block. Prepare to level the game with the knowledge of street science. Turn your speakers up and let's get into it. Oh, that hurts so good, man. That's the shit you remember when you forget everything Yo, else. Yo, what's up, what's up? I'm glad that y'all went ahead and tuned in. Welcome to another episode of the chopping block. I am Defiance the Dawn, a.k.a. Corey Austin. However you know me as, and I am over here bringing it to you once again, getting ready to hit some hot topics, man. Um, however y'all feeling today, and uh, I hope that y'all got everything going on that you really need to get popping. It's another lovely Thursday, and we ready to get it in and do what the hell we do. So welcome all my hustlers. I'm glad that y'all doing it in. What what was everybody got popping? You know, if you ain't got something popping on the side right now, then you wasting your damn time. And that's what it's about. Getting something that you're always grinding on so you could move ahead. Ain't no time for slow poking. Ain't no time waiting for somebody else to make a move for you. You got to make a move your damn self because that's the only way anything is going to get accomplished. Waiting on the next man or waiting on this to happen or that to happen, it ain't going to happen. It's up to you to make something happen in order for things to come to light. You have to go ahead and manifest the things that you want. And that's about it. So if you want to go ahead and see something happen in your life, you got to change it. You got to make that happen. You can't blame or point the finger at anybody else for what you don't got. But yeah, a lot of things as always going on and I wanted to take some time to take a look at what we have just in the media right now or what's going on that affects us on a daily and I tried to keep this show covering those things of what affects us and what affects us on a global scale, national scale. And on a personal scale, because sometimes we don't end up taking a look at the things that affect us because when it's out of sight, it's out of mind, it's far away. And so we don't always perceive those things as a problem, a threat, or even an area of concern. And we should. We really should. It's, it's up to us to stay informed and as well as get your grind on, get everything together to take care of you and yours, but it's also important that you keep your mind sharp and you stay aware and you keep that level of clarity so that you can make the moves that you need to. Otherwise, you put yourself in a sucker's position because then you get used and abused, dazed and confused. You don't want to be like that. You want to be in a position of power that you could take advantage of options, that you could take advantage of things rather than being taken advantage of. That's very important. So I want y'all to think about the levels that you can have by coming at something at a level of clarity. What you notice and what surrounds you that you could actually pick apart with your own story, with your own common sense, where you hear something and you don't have to digest it for the way that it's presented. And what I mean by that is if somebody spills a story to you or somebody chops up something with you, even me, it doesn't matter who it is, be anyone, you have enough power within yourself to understand how to do the due diligence and cross-reference a story to make sure that it's all good. Fact check. And that's very important. Don't take anything for face value, no matter who's spilling it, because we have so many twists and turns, odds and ends these days to how people want to manipulate things and especially how things have been manipulated in the course of our lifetime in order for us to believe a particular narrative 
that's been told. And what I mean by that is when you have stories that are told to you and you take it in and the person next to you takes it in and everybody ends up believing it, that starts to mold a consensus, a collective truth for people. Everyone kind of been told the same story, so no one really feels there's a need to question anything. That becomes dangerous in some ways because people are more complacent to be instructed to comply blindly. And you never want to do that. Somebody can be serving you up into the oven and you wouldn't know because everybody's walking that direction. I don't care if a thousand motherfuckers go ahead and believe it. I don't care if a million people think that it's right. If it don't feel right for me and it don't resonate with me, I can't fuck with it. I can't just go ahead and blindly walk that path. That's not me. And so you have to find your truth in the same. And I find some of the stuff that comes out so interesting because now with the power of technology, no one has the excuse, like I said before, to be a fool. No one has the excuse to be ignorant. There's so much being presented. And like the story that's now unfolding, this being Black History Month and now coming into just passing over MLK Day, even though they didn't do it on his official day, but the whole story that's just now appearing. And I heard about it years ago, but and now we're learning new things. I'm like, damn, y'all just going to go ahead and get to that this man has now not been assassinated by the way that we've all been told for so many years. How many people does it take to botch that type of thing up? Where a bunch of people just can't tell a story right. Or a bunch of people maliciously told a story wrong. So now they're um, talking about that Dr. King, he wasn't assassinated on the balcony. He was never even killed by James Earl Ray. He was killed in a hospital. And uh, it's something that the major media has failed to even cover or speak about. There's a man named Dr. William Pepper that has done over three decades of research on the subject alone. And what Dr. Pepper has found is disturbing but very insightful at the same time he he's found that he was actually in his hospital bed smothered by a pillow see Dr. King had survived being shot he didn't die it was it was a fatal wound he was close to death but he was rushed to the hospital Yes, it was uh, St. Joseph's Hospital that he was rushed to. And they said that he was killed by the operating doctor. The chief of neurosurgery, Dr. Green Bland. And this was confirmed by the surgical nurse, Lula Mae Shelby. She had seen it. She saw Dr. Green Bland remove the catheters out of Dr. King's body take a pillow from under his head and smother him. He was also in the same room of being not assisted, but being, I guess, two FBI agents. 
Dr. Pepper actually interviewed a company, the son of Lula May, who said this. And his son, under oath, disclosed to Dr. William Pepper that his mother had said this before she died. So that's very interesting. This is almost 50 years after this man has passed. And we're just now getting this information. I was actually discussing this with one of my homeboys, and it was just interesting how they just pull back these layers as they choose to, but you don't know what to end up believing because the narrative gets told by the winner of wars. So I look at this and I'm like, wow, this can't be. How do y'all go ahead and tell something that so many people end up agreeing on? And Dr. William Pepper, to also add credibility to him, yeah, he did the research also for three decades, but he was one of the only people that was had confided with the family and represented the family openly in court. So based off of his documented work where he had no assistance from any major media outlet, no assistance from any major organization, black, white, or indifferent, he was able to work with the family and actually take this to court. He was able to take this to a Memphis court. And the court had actually ruled in 1999, they had a civil ruling that they found that the American government was illicit in the assassination of Dr. King on local, state, and federal levels. And this involved the U.S. military, the Memphis Police Department, the Dixie Mafia. It was a whole entire conspiracy plot to assassinate this man. And the court actually ruled in the favor of the family that this was all true. And the FBI was involved. This was originally in motion from J. Edgar Hoover. James Earl Ray was found innocent. Well, according to this, this case, they found that he was just a fall guy. A man named Frank Trouser of the Memphis PD and also with Dixie Mafia Association was the man that fired the shot. That's crazy. He fired the first shot and... They chose him because he was one of the best shooters on the force for the Memphis PD. And so that whole thing just kind of like has been pulled over people's eyes and a completely different story told. You know, and they kind of painted a wild narrative. I was really baffled. I was like, wow, I always knew that there was a conspiracy plot. I just didn't know the intricate details. When you know this and you kind of know what unfolds, there's really nothing you could say that they aren't willing to do to protect the establishment. And you all might not know or might know, but this goes actually really in leagues with the whole Cointelepro operation that they had to assassinate all the black leaders. That's what they had back in the late 60s and the 70s. They at J. Edgar Hoover actually formulated an operation called Cointelepro counterintelligence for him to take out 
all the black leaders, the civil leaders, anybody that was a threat to the establishment, he said that he was going to go ahead and make sure that they were going to take him out. This is all well documented. You know, and they they found that with MLK now that local, state, and federal government, you guys were behind a conspiracy plot with the PD, with the military, with the mafia. These things get deep. I'm very interesting because, you know, this level of covert operation is nothing new. It's not just only history, but it ends up having like almost a trickling effect in many ways because it didn't stop there. It didn't just, okay, let's take out those that are leaders that oppose the establishment, but now let's go ahead and even introduce ourselves into the community with these tactics. When we look at the counterintelligence operation and we see how the black leaders and a lot of the civil rights leaders, we see how a lot of that stuff came to all of a sudden a halting screech and an end. But what was the theme that kind of followed after that? Well, we see slowly what seeps in. The war on drugs. Reaganomics. That's what kind of ends up following, you know, which was another covert operation, which is very interesting. When I started looking at these things, I'm like, wow, this was an elaborate level of sophistication. Because the war on drugs, instead of attacking leaders, let's attack communities. And I remember being a kid in the famous, what was it, the egg, and he, the, this is this is your brain, cracks the egg and it starts sizzling, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And then the D.A.R.E. shirts and Nancy Reagan and all that stuff, um, them promoting it, you going to school, you wearing your D.A.R.E. shirt, they're saying, say no to drugs, it was all bullshit. It was all bullshit. Because only thing that happened was a larger level of promotion was going on, putting that on the screen every night to every American, advertising it all the time. That was also a strong propaganda that was pushed among the, among the American people about the black community. So you have the war on drugs, which ends up what? Breaking out the crack epidemic. So you get the crack epidemic out of it. And that's going to predominantly poor, predominantly black communities that they're seeing all of a sudden arise in this. And the interesting part is it ends up working two ways because now you have people that are obviously getting getting addicted, getting hooked, and then also people that are filling the school-to-prison pipeline. So private prisons are profiting by a phenomenal number of people getting locked up. Now... There was no one in the area that was really a manufacturer or a scientist to really discover how to create this new crack from regular cocaine. And uh, this is how crazy it was then. They had from 1980 to about 97, I think it was like 
50,000 incarcerated felons for nonviolent uh, drug-related crimes, like, in the beginning of 1980. By the time, like, 97, 98 hit, they had about 400,000 people. Look at that increase. You know, and the, the problem with it was that during the Reagan era, they had this new way of really handling this drug epidemic with these mandatory minimums. And they came out with this very slighted, biased way of being able to take care of the problem. And it was the 101 rule. And... Uh, so say if you had 50 grams of crack, that would be equivalent to someone carrying 5,000 grams of cocaine. So one gram of crack was equivalent to 100 grams of cocaine. More people in the black communities were getting caught with crack on them than they were cocaine. More people were getting locked up for crack than they were cocaine doing infinity life sentences. Like just crazy. But when we look at it, what was the reason though that you go from the 70s to a drug that was completely unheard of, didn't exist, nobody being a chemist in these neighborhoods, and all of a sudden, this has just flooded the streets and everyone's selling it, but they're also getting locked up for it too. How did this come to be? Where did this develop? How did it get introduced? 20 years prior, Malcolm X had once said, they'll sell you the liquor, then lock you up for being drunk. There's, um, there was a book that was written by an author named Gary Webb called Dark Alliance, where he lays out in great detail the early beginnings of how the whole crack cocaine epidemic had its origins in South Central Los Angeles and how that whole thing starts to unfold and where it gets really deep because it ties in to the Iran-Contra affair. If you're familiar with that or maybe not familiar, it's when um, the government wanted to fund a war, or more so the Reagan administration wanted to fund a war of the Contras in Nicaragua to fight against the Sandinistas at the time, which was the government, the communist government there. They wanted them to go ahead and fight against them. They were trying to fund a war. And Congress didn't want to fund the war. They denied them being able to have funds to help the Contras actually fight um, against this. So what was going on, actually, they partnered with Israel, the CIA, they partnered with Israel, and Israel started selling weapons to Iran. And in return the U.S. would resupply Israel with the weapons that they sold to Iran, and Iran would send the money back to the U.S. And one of the high-ranking military officers named Oliver North was supposed to kind of turn the other cheek and help to funnel some of that money into the Contras. 
So this would go ahead and help to fund the Contras to be able to get weapons of their own and keep fighting the war. To get the other half of the funds, the Contras would work with some of their top drug lords that were coming into America and they would funnel in cocaine for them to distribute to top buyers within South Central. From there, these South Central buyers would go ahead and distribute the crack cocaine. After they were shown how to make it to crack, they would distribute it, and then they would bring the money back to these drug lords, and they would use that money to help invest into the Contras. In the book Dark Alliance, it talks about this, and the book discloses the whole array of people that are in a league with the Reagan administration. So it goes all the way up. And um, I've, I actually spoke with Freeway Rick Ross, who was one of the famous dealers who were caught up in this entire conspiracy, doing over a million dollars a day in sales, naming guys that were illicit in being able to help funnel cocaine into South Central for him to be able to buy and him to be able to sell, but Reagan and Bush were complicit in the conspiracy, even if you look up the Iran-Contra affair and the war on drugs, you will see these presidents tied into conspirators that were a part of this. And it's very interesting that Freeway Rick was the one person that ended up taking the fall and doing jail time behind this. Gary Webb, who wrote the book Dark Alliance, that revealed all this information, revealed all this stuff that was going on, they found him with a shotgun, um, a shotgun fragments in his head from shooting himself supposedly with a shotgun, and and uh, they claimed it was a suicide. This is the extent of what it goes goes on, and it's like looking at. This level of cover-up and conspiracy even over just the movement of drugs. And drugs and America go hand in hand. Drugs have been in America since the early turn of last century. American government introduced drugs to the American people. They used to sell cocaine marijuana, heroin. They used to move this stuff. There used to be over-the-counter you could get it. Shit, Coca-Cola used to put cocaine in, in Coke. So it was nothing new, but no one cared. Everyone was just good with it. Everyone was just good with it. Look at the hippies of the 1960s. Look at the free love in the LSD era. Look at everybody that was going ahead and smoking and Woodstock and acid. What's going on with that? But it was a problem once the depiction of how things were painted in the black community with the crack epidemic. Once that came out and people were painted as monsters on television, that's when it became a problem for America. That's when America wanted to protect its citizens, so they say, 
and they were putting a tough on crime war on drugs narrative that you needed to be safe now and the whole thing got flipped into looking very different from the free love to now the criminalizing of what was going on while America looked at this like it was a problem because especially white America, white America didn't want that to funnel into their neighborhoods. They wanted to make sure that that was what they were seeing on shows like Cops. That's what they were seeing that was going against them. They didn't want any part of it. And when they were seeing all this stuff going on, we we have to look at there is a problem as a whole. Because when you look at crack cocaine and you actually study what that drug is, there's only a single molecule that they turn in order to make a difference between crack and the drug Ritalin. When Ritalin started getting introduced into white communities, they started pushing it on the children first. That's what happened. They started going ahead and suggesting it to kids that had uh, attention deficit disorder started going ahead and handing out Ritalin and Ritalin started having side effects of depression and, you know, um, people with anxiety and all these things. But they've been knowing about uh, how to formulate crack and how to manufacture this. They've been knowing about marketing it. Ritalin's been around since 1944. They were were using people as test subjects in the 1950s. They reintroduced it to the public for children in the 1980s. So we look at it now, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, is we see today, why do we have a drug problem today? It's very, very explicit how there's been the powers that be very involved in bringing things about, but why do so many people hate being sober? This is the generation of the turn-up. And uh, we look at, okay, is it the millennials? And uh, to be honest, when you look at what millennials are, when everyone thinks it's very young, 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 but what they actually date millennials is early, being born early 80, 81. People that are after what, like, I think born after 1997, they're actually considered something else. That's, they consider that Generation Z. So, have a big problem especially here as a whole no matter what your background ethnicity who you are culture all together as there's a huge problem with people feeling the need to have to go ahead and alter themselves and you know it it starts from early because whether you're young and you need to feel confident or you want to just have an escape or you end up really feeling that chemical change that happens or you're dealing with a lot of pain. I'm not one to sit here and be a hypocrite at all. Hypocrisy, I don't like practicing because I've been there and shoot, I like to have a good time and I have. And when I was younger, you know, we did. And that's what I had to look at. When I was young, like everybody that I knew, it was always about somebody wanted to go ahead 
and get faded, get fucked up. Everybody like, hey, twist something up, cuz. Hey, what you got? Roll something up. You got a bleather? Hey, yeah. Let's go ahead and smoke something. Put something in the air. That's That was the culture. Everybody wanted to go ahead and smoke, man. Everybody wanted to drink. Everybody wanted to crossfade all the time, anytime. And in American culture, that's very popular, even more than other cultures. And what we don't realize is the level that we are highly marketed to on all areas and aspects. We are very highly marketed to because if it's legal drug, a pharmaceutical, they can just make advertisements and put it out there and solicit those drugs straight to us. If it's illegal, they can't solicit those drugs. So you think. But those, that culture, that lifestyle gets very integrated into pop culture, music, entertainment. That's how they advertise it. You know, now there's a problem to people. When the drugs were, the older drugs, the crack and the heroin, and when it was painted on television, it was a solution of hard or being tough on crime, incarcerating a lot of brothers, locking them up and throwing them away putting harsh sentences on them, mandatory minimums. You get caught with X amount of crack you're doing 10 years, which you would need 100 times cocaine to be able to do, do that same amount of time. You know, that used to be the thing. And now we look at it as what is America's, what are they talking about that's popular now? It's an opioid epidemic. But the opioid epidemic gets treated as if it needs rehabilitation. And we have to look at the problem and suicide awareness and these people in broken homes. And we have to really take care of this. And it's treated with kitten gloves. Compared to before when... We're just, we're dealing with people that are being exploited on all levels, on both sides or any side. This is what has been the evolution of American drug culture, period. We have become a society of consumers rather than producers. We produce very little, but we are the leaders of consumption. The leaders of consumption. The opioid epidemic starts leaking into now all aspects because everybody wants to pop a pill now. Everybody wants to pop a molly. Everybody wants to pop something. Everybody wants to go ahead and sip a little lean. Everybody wants to go ahead and do something, be on something at all times. Nobody want to face reality. It's a big fucking scary world out there. I don't want to do it. <laughs> That's the mentality. And it's crazy. They say that opioids alone killed about 70,000 people in 2017. That's the numbers from the CDC. They say that it's even decreased the life average, the life expectancy to about people living to about 78, 78.6 years. That's what they anticipate. It's, this is how I prove that we are leaders in consumption because we only make up 5% of the global population. 
but the United States is 80% of the opioid consumption. That's what's crazy. And we are the number one marketed to because United States is one of the few countries that's even allowed to market and advertise drug or pharmaceutical drugs to their population. Other countries, you're not allowed to do that. You can't do that in any of the African countries. You can't do that in European countries. Um, United States, I think there's only two, but United States is one of them that you can go ahead and market pharmaceutical drugs. And Big Pharma, they spend billions in marketing. Those same pharmaceutical drugs that people end up taking and end up having an addictive flaw to, those pharmaceutical companies are spending billions to market them to physicians. Uh, they do stuff, they offer them vacations, they offer them paid dinners, they offer them paid speaking engagements, your physicians, your doctors, the people that go up and speak on behalf of these companies are getting paid big dollars in order to push this product. What makes that different than the street hustler? You telling me 70,000 people died off this in 2017 and then bank illegally go ahead and still pitch it, still push it. And then see, you go ahead, you take the flip side. The drug dealer goes ahead and he's selling, selling the drugs in the black community. He's going ahead and watching people suffer off of it. At the end, he's getting um, hit with a sentence and then people are getting money off of him because he's in a private prison. And then he's also funding other people that got illicit means like a war going on. But then you funding, you going ahead and have a doctor that's getting funded to pitch a pharmaceutical. And then people are dying off this pharmaceutical. But then the pharmaceutical industry is also getting paid. The hospital is getting paid. The insurance companies are getting paid because there's no money in a cure. You can't cure, you can't make money if people don't need you. It's supply and demand, it's a business. People that need the pills, they're customers. The same way like a street pharmaceutical is. Anybody that goes ahead and has to buy, they need to make sure that they have to re-up. They need to come back, they need more. And that's, that's what we end up seeing because we have to look at what's the real issue with us. And because now we're turning out massive heroin addicts. Doesn't matter, Mexican kids, white kids, black kids, everybody, kids, they all going ahead and getting converted to this from starting out by wanting to do it as recreational use now. It's replacing the old drugs. It's been, and everybody wants to go ahead and take it for that level of high now. That level of being able to get turned up, being able to get lit, and not knowing how damaging these synthetic drugs might be, even compared to things that came from a plant. These synthetic drugs that have been made in a laboratory they're mixing them and taking them with alcohol and liquor and other things and putting it all together and not even knowing the adverse effects that these can have as far as a chemical reaction within their own body. Nobody's schooling these youngsters to any of that. But everybody's just popping something, taking something, and just calling it lit. Not everybody's body's the same. Not everybody's wired the same. We're all wired different. What somebody else can take Someone else might have an adverse reaction because their body can't handle the same level. They might have a different tolerance. Their body can't go ahead and have the same intake. And then that can lead for a very bad outcome 
we don't end up thinking about that. It's everybody across the board because we are all slaves to an establishment that has been built, but we are also more of slaves to ourselves. Because there ain't no big boogeyman putting a gun to your head telling you the choice you need to make. It's more the choice you make on your own and what you are influenced by and what you choose to do. That can shape the path for the rest of your life. Americans, our problem is we are in an era of the quick fix. We want a pill. We want something that's going to solve our problems. We have a very low tolerance for dealing with pain and discomfort. And that's physical and mental. We want things convenient and we want things fast. That's that's the American way. That's how Americans are. That's our consumption. That's how we've been bred to be psychologically conditioned for consumption. Just like when we eat, we eat when we're not even hungry. We take medicine when pain isn't bearable. There's people that take medication not just because it's for the joy. There's people that take medication from trauma, um, veterans that come back from overseas. There's people that take medication because they might have a psychological disorder, mental disorders. There may be people that take medication from depression, anxiety. There's all types of things. There's people that take medication from autoimmune deficiencies. So we have a problem where, wow, we have a large list of reasons why someone would need medication, which definitely isn't a bad thing when you have to go ahead and take something. Whatever you're dealing with is unbearable. That's one thing you can't measure. You can't measure another person's pain. But the problem becomes when everything is out of moderation, the establishment knows what type of people they're dealing with. They understand. That's why there's people that get medication and it actually starts another problem than it solves one. So you have something going on with maybe, you know, pain in your knee. You take medication for that, and then it might start causing a heart murmur. Then you take another medication to start to stop the heart murmur. Then you have to go ahead and worry about that medication may be causing problems to your liver. Then you take another medication that may be for your liver problem, and now you're having problems with your kidneys. You turn around and maybe 20 years later, you're on four different types of medications paying about 150 a month for each. And it's costing you six or $700 a month to keep each of these medications because each one of them solves a problem but starts a new one. And this is kind of the hamster wheel that they end up putting you on. They understand that we will get addicted. They understand that somebody can have a mind state that this won't happen to me. I won't get addicted. I don't have that type of personality. True. Granted, there's people that have stronger addiction habits than others. But the problem is people don't understand that these drugs over time, they change the chemical compound of your body. They change your molecular structure. Your body automatically fights against it because what you put in your body, it's foreign to your body. So your body sees it as a threat and fights against it and slowly builds a tolerance towards it. And when it builds a tolerance, you need more to feel the same effect. You need more to feel the same effect. You need more to push that chemical dopamine 
dopamine, that happy, that feel-good chemical that goes inside your brain when anything excites you. It's almost like an adrenaline. So it's not always so much just the drug that's addicted. It's the chemical that the drug makes your brain produce that you get addicted to the feeling. But when your body builds up a tolerance, how do you cope with that? Just end up taking more to get a similar or less effect. We have a problem because on another hand, that's all our chemical problem. But on the social level too, in America, we have psychological problems where Americans were very superficial. We've We've have a society built off reality shows and uh, Instagrams and social media and looking at everything from face value. So we end up investing a lot of energy into portraying ourselves as constantly confident, happy, and successful. This is what we want to emulate. This is what we want people to see. So you end up going ahead and taking things that you think will help portray this. People don't want to do the hard work. They don't want to go ahead and put it in the blood sweat, so they want a pill to make them skinny. They want a pill to make them lose weight. They want a pill to make them happy. They want a pill to stop the pain. They want a pill to cure the disease. They want the pill to change their thinking. If you could take a pill to get you money, you would. This is what we live in. This is what we live in. And they say that a lot of these drugs can also be linked to people's social economic status. If there's more of a household that has two unemployed people, if there's an impoverished neighborhood, community, lack of opportunity, lack of resources, it's a lot more likely that you can have overconsumption on a regular just because the social economic situation consistently out of moderation. Think about even when we smoke. It's cool. They say, yeah, cannabis, yeah, that's from the earth. It's cool. Hey, man, I'll smoke a little. Just go ahead. That's that's what my partner say. Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll blow a little. It's good. You know, sometimes I like to just get, you know, fucked up. I like to get fucked Like, wow. There's nothing that... And I think it's because with the cannabis, there's nothing on the bottle. Like, you see Tylenol says take two. You see... Any medical bottle that you get, it gives you, you get the prescription and you have the dosage. But there's never been the right amount of dosage, so people just get out of their mind at all times. And no, nobody has any, any qualms about it. You know, who, how do you know that we weren't just supposed to go ahead and take a little, a little, Small hit just to take the edge off and leave the rest alone. But since there's no dosage, we want to consume as much as possible until we're completely inebriated and we can't even function. That's how everybody that I knew came up. They came up just wanting to go ahead and tear themselves up. And it can't, can't be only me that knows that because I see a whole epidemic of people that that's, that's what's cool. That's the end thing. And it, it definitely makes you wonder how do people end up feeling like that's okay. It's, and it's crazy because we don't, we don't look at the illicit levels of manipulation that takes place so many ways. Yeah, shit. Black folks came here as slaves. 
Now they're free to an extent, but everybody's slaves. You all slaves, everybody's slave. There's just levels to it, that's all. So just because you ain't the slave in the pit, you feel better because you the slave on the field? They give you a little something? Everybody's enslaved to this shit. How? So I look at it like this. There's still a level of manipulation that even happens with the cannabis that's out there. They're manipulating that from the level of the seed. People don't want to hear it. There's genetic alteration that's been done to the medicinal marijuana that's being marketed in America right now. They wouldn't do that. It's, it's from the earth. I grow, I, I, I grow my own stuff. Well, where do you get your, where do you get your seeds from? You get them out here? Okay, well, if Monsanto can manipulate and genetically alter fruits and vegetables and give you genetically modified foods, you think they can't do that to cannabis just because? Just because you don't want to believe it? They can genetically modify anything that they want. They've been doing it. Why do you think that they're making it so abundantly available now? You think that they only want to see your economic level get great? No, it's because they don't do anything without them having their hands in control. And their control always stems on all levels, which you have to remember. Their control is going to be economic. It's going to be genetic. It's going to be, from the biological standpoint, it's going to be environmental. It's going to be social. Uh, the engineering goes deep, and it's never um, a single facet way of them being able to apply things. It's always going to be multifaceted. They're always going to look at several levels of doing this, and that's what we really have to think about. Everybody is quick for the generation of turn-up. But nobody is quick for a generation of clarity. As we ain't taught nothing about ourselves, we don't care. We are so superficial that we look for everything to feel good, be good, look good, seem appealing, be liked, be wanted, be loved, want everything from everybody else, want to feel everything. Everything's always external. We're taught nothing about the internal. We know nothing. That's why everything that we reach for, we're so empty. Empty on the inside, empty. And this ain't no coaching or counseling session. This is true. Empty. And you're trying to fulfill yourself with all these things outside yourself, looking for everything that you ever wanted to be and all the things that would make you important when the whole time, the most important thing that you should ever have been searching for was inside you all along. We hold little value about ourselves, know nothing about our bodies. We just live in them. You might have been in this body for 50 years. You know nothing about this vessel. You go to somebody else to tell you whether you're going to go ahead and make it or if you're going to perish. How somebody have that much control over something you lived in all your life and you know nothing about it? You know nothing about your kidney, your organs. You don't know nothing about your liver. You don't know nothing about the inside of your skin, your mucous membrane. You don't know nothing but you know how to fuck it up. You know how to fuck it up. You don't know about your hemoglobin. You don't know none of your cells. You don't know how or why or if they generate electricity. You don't know when you touch another person and you feel that static electricity because we're all made of that same light electricity. There's no value placed on what the being and the entity that you are here as there's no value placed on it. So 
going ahead and dreaming, treating like shit. You know what I mean? You know, that's like, even my car, I put the best gasoline in. That's like me just dumping whatever, like ethanol in my car every day and just like whatever, you know? No. You know, you you do things, if you take care of it, like it ain't shit, by the time it comes to its end of days, it's going to run like shit. You know, people got to have something more that they desire out of themselves. And what that comes down to is three simple words. Quality of life. What is your quality of life? You want to be, you know, 58 years old, hooked up to every machine, and still say, you living, need something to help you breathe, need something to help you piss, need someone to help you shit, need someone to wipe your ass, need something, you know, somebody brings your grandkids to you, you don't even know their fucking names. I'm not saying that that just can't happen the way that life plays out. Some people just get sick, but you don't need to help it along. Live long, live strong. And that's where we, we don't have any of these principles to stand by anymore. Any of these principles that teach and show the next generation. Each one teach one. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what some of these OGs out here, these so-called OGs, niggas just want to go ahead and have the title, oh, I'm OG just because they get it older. The earth's going around the sun. They're just like, oh, I got older, so I'm an OG. But what you really doing? What kind of work are you putting in? You ain't got to be doing something illicit in the street, but what you doing for the youth? You just want to be having titles, but you ain't out here doing nothing, man. You know, and I got, I look at OG, yeah, there's a lot of original gangsters I know. I'm original God, original God body, OG. That's how I feel. Take it or leave it, fuck it. That's how everybody should feel that important. You know, walk around with that thing on top of your neck being more than a spot to just take up space but it's an actual jewel and use it and start finding some damn importance because I'll tell you what if you don't shit there's a greater plan to eventually wipe everybody out they gonna annihilate and trust and all these people who talk about they ready and they want to be revolutionaries and they want to be sure you drunk pissed up and, and coped and doped up and don't know your dick from ass crack but you ready to go ahead and uh, lead lead the revolution, you ready for change you want to talk about how you're not going to stand for nothing, you're not going to take nothing, how you going to go ahead and protect yourself or protect your family, you want rights but you don't even take up the right to fucking treat yourself that's and that's just kind of what I wanted to cover, man. We we really got to go ahead and look at the value and the emphasis that we place on ourselves in this age of corruption, in this age of manipulation, in this age where the wool could be pulled over your eyes so easy. Why would you make it any easier? Fuck everybody else, shit. You owe it to yourself. If you're the person that's listening to this, you came here with a purpose. Use that purpose. Don't abuse it. There's enough people that want to abuse and take advantage of your simple ass and simple mind every day. Sharpen it. It's a tool. Don't waste it. 
Don't allow yourself to go ahead and become caught up in what others are lost in. This is a game and it's a maze. You ain't got to be over here on a stoop pitching to be in the trap. Because the trap is laid out all across this fucking land. And it's very easy to fall in it if you ain't watching where you step. There's potholes everywhere. So I hope y'all enjoyed the show. You know, um, just wanted to cover some of that. And yeah, we're going to go ahead and chop it up some more. Make sure that you check me out at infinitelifelive.com. Once again, that's a clothing brand. Get your shirt, get your intoxicated off melanin, get your intelligent by design t-shirt. Love those shirts. Go ahead and get yours. Um, go by Imperial Media Design. If you're an artist, you need web design, graphic design. If you need email marketing, if you need social media marketing, go on there. Let me know what you need. We get you locked in. But until next time, let's keep the turn up on an evolution. You know, let's evolve it. You know, this is the age of turn up. Let's get lit in a different way. Pushing that intelligence, baby. That's what we on. Fuck what you heard. Peace.